Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So this picture is a picture of Reef Park in Tucson. Well, what does that have to do with heaven? All right, you got to hang on. I, when I was 12 years old, our middle school uh, Sunday school class teacher, he was the Bible class teacher for middle school boys, and he challenged us boys to run a five-mile race down at Reef Park. And uh, I had never run five miles in a row. I just couldn't imagine running that far. And I talked to my dad and said, I'm not going to do it. And he said, you're going to do it. And I said, well, I can't run five miles. He said, you've run two miles several times. Just start out a little bit slower than you do for the two miles and just hang in there. And don't pay attention to what anybody else does. You just run your pace. And so I did. And, you know, we started out, and some of those guys, I mean, it, it was like firing the gun for the Olympics. They're gone. They're just sprinting away, and, and I'm back there all by myself, just cruising along. And, and uh, when the leaders were passing the mile mark, I still had a half mile to go to get there. And the second closest guy was a quarter mile in front of me. And then when we got to the two-mile mark, I passed a few guys, but the leaders were still out there in front of me. By the time we passed the three-mile mark, I was out in front. And when I finished, I was more than half a mile ahead of the guy who finished second. And, and uh, I just had no idea. I just set my pace, and I, I thought I could do that. I never picked up the pace till I got into the last mile. I thought, all right, I only got one to go. I know I could go a little faster than this. And, and it was exciting, and it was fun. But what made the difference is before the race started, before the guy said, go, his name was Mr. Argrace. Before Mr. Argrace said, go, and we took off, I had the long view in mind. I wasn't trying to be in the league right away. Some of those guys were. They wanted to be in the league right now. They were had the short view. I had the long view. And this morning, I want you to think about heaven's long view. We need a long view of life, and we need a long view of heaven, and it helps us in our life on earth if we have that long view. And sometimes, well, we, Dennis and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, back the last time he was in our area, back. Uh, he's been gone for a few weeks, praise the Lord, he is back today, is back today. And those of you who enjoy coffee during Sunday school, he has coffee and he makes that for us, so they enjoyed having him back. Um, but Dennis and I were talking about heaven and how, you know, some of the blessings that we all naturally think about heaven won't show up in heaven until the new heaven and the new earth. And, and some of the blessings, they're going to show up immediately. Like your physical body, how many of you have had at least one ache or pain in your body during the last month? How many of you had at least one? Yeah, it's not going to happen as soon as you get to heaven. You will not have that physical difficulty. But there are some things that might hang around for a while in the current heaven. And I'm not making up current heaven and new heaven. The Bible clearly teaches. There's the heaven that exists now and the earth that exists now. And they're both going to be replaced. So let's just read a little bit about that in Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's the, the new heaven. That's the new earth that we were just talking about. 
For the first heaven, the one we live, our first earth, the one we live on now, and the first heaven is where our loved ones live right now, they had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. John says that as like a casual thing, there was no more sea. Does that mean there's not going to be any ocean? We don't know if he was looking at a specific spot on the earth or if he was looking at the entire earth and there was no sea. We don't know for sure, but where there's an ocean now, at least one of them won't be there when there's the new heaven and the new earth. Then he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven say, you know, I'm loud sometimes. And, and with my hearing loss, I can't always tell how loud I am. Sometimes I'll say something, I think, whoa, that was a little loud. Recently I asked Anna, and I said, Anna, was that a little loud? She said, no, it was really loud. <laughs> and, and I can't judge how it's going to come out. But I find joy in the Bible that sometimes there's loud voices and it's a good thing. So. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God with us. That's Emmanuel. That was the hope of Christ. God with us. God, the Son, came down to live among us. But now we're going to live with him. And we're going to be there and we'll be his people and we'll be connected with him. And then he gives a promise that he doesn't give for the current heaven. And that is this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Write. This is true. This is faithful. This is reality. Now, when Kathy and I lived in California, and back then I could carry a tune better, it's funny how you can't sing as well when you lose your hearing, uh, but uh, I, I sang in a quartet, and one of the favorite songs people in the church liked our quartet to sing was, No Tears in Heaven. Well, there's no tears in the new heaven, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But here's the first thing that I want you to think about heaven's long view, and that is, when our life on earth ends, we will live forever with the Lord. We will live forever with the Lord. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when your life on earth ends, you're with the Lord always and forever. Now, how are you going to get there? Well, there's two methods available. One is that you die. Uh, look at, well, I'll have it on the screen here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Now, we know that God will raise up our body. We know that our body will be united to us, not because of what this verse says, but because of what the Bible teaches as, as Tim repeatedly mentions in the Bible class time in here, that we have to look at the context of things in the Bible. We place it not only in the context of the verses right before and right after it, but also in the context of the overall Bible teaching. And so we know that when, if you die right now, you will be with the Lord. Your soul and spirit would be with the Lord. Now, there's a second way that a person can get into heaven, and that is something that God has written about in Scripture and talks about, and that's found in us in uh, First, uh, First Thessalonians. I got a typo there. First Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We looked at that another Sunday. That's what's called the rapture, the catching away, the calling up. There's going to be a trumpet sound and the dead in Christ will rise and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Whether you die or whether you're raptured, when your life on this earth ends, you will live forever with the Lord. 
On any given day, you can be going through difficulties and struggles. You need to take heaven's long view. And you need to realize these problems are temporary. Even if it's a chronic illness that you have to live with for the rest of your life, it's still temporary. You're going to live a whole lot longer without that problem than you had to live with that problem. And you, your, your life in heaven and with the Lord is going to be forever. Now, if you go to the dentist and you get a root canal, how many of you have had that through? Isn't that fun? You know, how many of you think, man, I hope I get one this week? Uh, they, they drill in, they dig out, they, they cut, and then they stuff stuff in there, and then they put a temporary crown on it so that it won't get messed up. And then when you go back after the crown is set, it takes time, uh, sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks, you go back and they pull off that temporary crown and they put on what they call a permanent crown. Well, let me tell you, the next time you're at the dentist and they have to put a permanent crown on your teeth, tell them, this ain't a permanent crown, buddy. My body is going to go away. I'm going to get a new body. And it's not going to have crowns put on by a dentist. This is temporary. I'm going to live in heaven with the Lord forever. And we won't have dental problems there. Now, uh, Kathy and I, when we moved to Texas back in 1983, we had to change our insurance because we had insurance that was specific to the state of Arizona. For some reason, it worked in Arizona and it worked when we lived in California, but when we were moving to Texas, that insurance wouldn't work in Texas because it's a foreign country. And, and as we were moving there, uh, we met with an insurance agent and we talked with that insurance agent. And he, we talked, we already had health insurance, or uh, not health, but we had life insurance. So we didn't have to do that, but we needed renter's insurance for our apartment and we needed car insurance that worked in the state of Texas. And so uh, we met with him. And then after he talked about that, he said, no, he said, we got your insurance settled for right now. He said, if you give me permission, I'd love to talk to you about life insurance, not, not life on earth, eternal life insurance. He wanted to talk with us about the Lord. Well, that was pretty cool. We thought that was a neat way for him to describe it. And, you know, you need life insurance to provide for your loved ones if you're gone, you know, so they at least have enough money to bury you. But you, you uh, also need eternal life insurance. And you only get that by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Because then when you die, when your life on this earth ends through the rapture or through death, either way, you go to be with the Lord. And as we looked last week, we will no longer have a fear of death. As soon as we are in heaven with the Lord, we will no longer fear death. Even for the loved ones that we were worried about when we were on the earth, and we might have feared death for their sake, or, uh, we won't worry about that in heaven because we'll think, we might even think, man, if they die soon, they'll be here with me. We might look forward to them dying. I don't know for sure, but this I know, it won't be an issue anymore. See, the second thing I want you to think about this morning, what we've just read about the timeline, is that God will wipe away all tears eventually. He will do it eventually. Now, I'm going to walk you through, we've read those verses, we just read, we've looked at these verses several times in this series. We've talked about the new heaven, the new earth, looking at the holy city, New Jerusalem. And today we're going to look at our uh, timeline uh, of faith. So I borrowed somebody else's timeline. He left a few things off, so I'll have some letters that pop up in a little bit. And, and this was his timeline that he wrote out. And it was a whole lot easier to, to borrow his and then use part of it than to try and do my own. I don't have artistic skills for the most part. Um, so the the next thing on God's calendar, now I don't know if you can see that, it's kind of small if you're sitting in the back and having trouble seeing the front rows available, feel free to move up. Okay, uh, but it, it, right now we live in the church age. Uh, we live in the church age. This is uh, the age of grace. This is 
uh, where we trust and believe in Christ. This is the church where God has taken what was predominantly a Jewish faith and now he's merged the Jews and the Gentiles into Christianity following and submitting to Christ. And that's the church age. This age or this dispensation of time will end with the rapture and the resurrection of the saints. We'll be caught up to be with the Lord. We'll, we'll, we'll live with the Lord forever. And then um, uh, John, this is symbolized in when John um, was caught up into heaven, but it's written out and spelled out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We read one of those verses today. So as soon as we go up to be with the Lord, something's taking place on earth. What is it? The tribulation period. It's a time period of about seven years, and uh, it's described in Revelations chapter 6 through 16, and there's lots of turmoil, and lots of people die. Billions and billions of people will die. Trillions, maybe, I don't know. There's seven billion, so probably not trillions of people will die, but, but uh, if you read through all the descriptions of the terrible things that take place on Earth, then four or five billion people will die over a seven-year period. And then uh, the believers, when they go up, they're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then a couple of things are going to happen in heaven. One is, he, he put on his screen, uh, that marriage supper of the Lamb. But between the, the meeting the Lord in the air and the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's what's called the judgment seat of Christ sometimes called the Bema Seat, because that's the, the word, the Greek word used to describe the judgment seat, the Bema Seat of Christ. And so that's where believers will be rewarded for their faithful labors for Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not to determine who gets into heaven. If you have not already made a reservation in heaven by trusting Christ before you die, you're not getting in. You get in because you trust, have trusted Christ in this life. And so the judgment seat of Christ doesn't decide who gets into heaven or who doesn't. It decides the rewards for those who are in heaven. Then there is the second coming of Christ when he's going to come and he's going to stand on the earth. And uh, the scriptures describe in uh, Zechariah 14 that Jesus is going to stand on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives is going to quake in half and part of it will move to the north and part of it will move to the south and there'll be a deep valley that goes from east to west and so it, it'll split in two creating that large valley and then fresh water is going to flow down and flush out the Dead Sea and uh, it also says that uh, Christ will come uh, to, to wage war the second coming is mentioned in the Psalms, the minor and major prophets, the Gospels, the letters from John and Jude and Paul and Peter and the book of Revelation. And, and so the tribulation saints are going to be raised up. And then those of us who are in heaven with the Lord, we're going to come down with him. And then there's a big battle. What's that battle called? Armageddon. Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon. It's mentioned in Revelation 16 and Revelation 19. And it's such a bloody battle. It says the blood is going to be splashing up to the horse's bridles. Now, in this day of mechanized warfare, everybody talks about, well, how could, you know, we won't be battling on horses. Well, imagine if one of the troubles in the tribulation or right before the tribulation is the pulse that knocks out all electronics. Uh, we'd be back to fighting on horses. Um, uh, but the Bible describes this horrific battle. In fact, it says the birds are going to come from hundreds of miles away to feast on all the carnage from that battle, the battle of Armageddon. Scavenger birds will come from hundreds of miles. And then Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years, and he won't have freedom. And then we have what's called uh, the millennial reign of Christ on earth. It's called the millennial or the millennium because it lasts how long? A thousand years. A thousand, a millennium. And so it's going to last a thousand years. And 
uh, those, there's going to be worldwide peace, but it's not all lovey-dovey. The Bible describes Jesus ruling with a rod of iron during that time period. So he's going to rule, but it's not going to be everybody's peace and harmony, holding hands, singing kumbaya. Uh, there's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be some need for enforcement, and Jesus will provide them. So there will be worldwide peace, but not everybody is going to follow the Lord during the millennium. Those who go into the millennium will be those who survive the tribulation. And then on the millennium, those who are living on the earth will be there, but, but will come down with the Lord out of heaven. We'll have our glorified bodies. And so we will be in bodies that will live forever. They'll have, their bodies will change. It's almost like the ecology of the world will change. And so people can live a long time again, like the days of Adam and Eve, people could live almost a thousand years. So there'll be people who live through the whole millennium. But then Satan is loosed and there's the great deception he deceives the nations. And then you have the final battle. Uh, this is where Satan gathers up all the armies of the world that he can, and he marches them against Jerusalem because he's going to throw overthrow the rule of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son. And he's going to overthrow it. And the Bible says God doesn't even fight. There is no battle. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the whole army. They're just there and then they're gone. And those who rejected God, rejected God's plan of salvation, they're gonna be at the great white throne judgment. Why is it called the great white throne? Because God is gonna be on a white throne and he's gonna be judging. And again, this judgment is not to see who gets into heaven. That's already decided in this life. If you trust Christ, when you die, you go to heaven. If you haven't trusted Christ, when you die, you go to hell. And then this great white throne judgment, those who are in hell are going to be raised up, and they're going to stand before God, and there's going to be a judgment, and the books are going to be opened, and God's going to look at their works. And, and the way it's described in the scripture, the punishment in hell and then the lake of fire is going to be worse for those who did worse things on earth. So the people who did really bad stuff, they'll suffer more than the people who didn't do as bad stuff. Everybody's gonna suffer, but some it's gonna be very intense. Some of you have had minor pains and aches, and then you've had major pains, and then you've had seriously horrible, bad pain. You know, one time, uh, Somebody told me they, they got food poisoning and it was really bad. And so for a couple days, they thought they might die. And then for a couple more days, they were afraid they weren't gonna die because it was so bad. They, they thought death might be a relief and, and then they lived. But uh, we have levels of pain, we understand that in this life. Even when it's really bad, it can get worse. Our pastor Gene Schaefer, who was the pastor here before me, said that. He said, you know, I thought it can't get any worse. And God said, oh yes it can. And it did. It just hurt more. Uh, so there's going to be the judgment. The books will be open and if their name's not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire along with Satan and the demons that are cast into the lake of fire. And then there's going to be the eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom. What we just read about in Revelation 21, the new heaven, the new earth, the eternal kingdom of God. And this is going to be different than the present heaven and the present earth. And it'll be perfect. The present earth, pretty spectacular place. But I don't think the new earth will have a cool Grand Canyon. I love the Grand Canyon. I fight down to the bottom and out twice. A year and a half ago, I did it, uh, and I did it when I was 12 years old, and it's beautiful, it's spectacular. There's some plants that exist in the Grand Canyon that don't exist anywhere else on planet Earth. The Grand Canyon uh, area has, the well, Arizona itself has the six uh, types of 
tundra that you can have on Earth. The only thing we don't have is Antarctica. We have everything else at some point, somewhere in Arizona. The Grand Canyon has all of them, except Antarctica. <laughs> but the Grand Canyon is a result of the curves. It's the flood waters that describe Genesis, the flood that swept over the earth. That's what carved out the Grand Canyon. And so we're not going to have a Grand Canyon on the New Earth. We will have mountains because that's described. We read about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll have at least one really high mountain, and we'll have some other mountains as well. Um, and so you're going to have this new heaven and this new earth. And look again at the timeline, Revelation 21, and verse 1, you have the new heaven and the new earth, right? Okay, and then in verse 3, God says, I'm dwelling with people. And then what does he do in verse 4? Wipes away all tears. So I put a little star here. This is when God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. It's not as soon as we get to heaven. It's after the new heaven and the new earth. That's when God wipes away all tears. So God will wipe away all tears eventually. Eventually. So now you're thinking, well, what could possibly bring tears to our eyes in heaven? What could possibly do that? Well, let me share with you a couple of verses. In Luke 9, 28, it says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men stood talking with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the people from heaven including Moses, Moses and Elijah, they're watching what's going on on earth. And they were talking about the events on the earth, particularly the events that would lead up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were talking about his crucifixion that would soon happen. So if the people in heaven have the knowledge that those two guys have, then they're watching the things on the earth. And they're saddened by the things on the earth. Some of you have seen such radical changes in your lifetime that when you look at the future, if you didn't have the hope of Christ, you'd be depressed because of how radically things have changed in our culture. So then Revelation 6 talks about some martyrs crying out to heaven. And in that thing, they're saying, How long, O Lord? holy and true, till you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. They're watching what's happening on earth, and they're looking and wondering when God is going to bring the judgment that those who murdered them deserve. They're watching. So, they're looking, they're watching, they're evaluating. So the people in heaven can likely see some of the stuff that's going on on earth. So what could bring tears to your eyes in heaven? Watching some of the problems here. There's another interesting story that Jesus described in Luke 16, and we're not going to go through it or have verses up because of it, uh, but that's the story of two people who died. One was named Lazarus, the other is a man who's called the rich man. We don't find out his name. Lazarus was poor, the rich man was very wealthy, and the rich man did not go to hell because he was wealthy, and Lazarus did not go to heaven because he was poor. The Bible very clearly says those who believe on and trust in God's plan of salvation, they're the ones that go to heaven. But there's an interesting dialogue that takes place. The man in hell can look and see uh, Abraham in paradise, and so he can talk to Abraham. And Abraham, who's in paradise... Uh, with those who had trusted and followed the Lord, he could see the person in hell. Does that mean everybody in heaven will see everyone in hell? I certainly hope not. I, I hope when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to watch people that we love 
suffering in hell because they rejected Christ. If we do, it will be temporary. But just imagine if Eve is in heaven with the Lord and we anticipate that she is, and we know that Abel is, and we know that Cain is not. And so, so far for 6,000 years of human history, she's been watching Cain and how? I hope not. But this I do know. Before Revelation 21, there is the final rebellion and there is the great white throne judgment and there are people who are cast into the lake of fire. And we will be witnesses of that. We likely will see some of the suffering on earth. We likely will experience some emotional anguish. The physical pain will be gone. But we likely will see, experience some emotional anguish in the current heaven. So it is in the eternal kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, that God wipes away all tears from our eyes. And so we need to have the long view of heaven. And in that long view of heaven, we should have three responses to that long view that, that we should build into our lives because of what's going to take place. Okay? So I, I want you to turn to several passages of Scripture, and the, the references will be on the screen. I want you to read it and see it in the Bible. The first response that you should have is to love his appearing. To love his appearing. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. On the screen it just says verse 8, but we're actually going to start in verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And follow along with me, beginning in verse 6. Paul's giving his testimony. He said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's going to die soon. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Isn't that great? Fought the good fight. We can fight over all kinds of things. People get in fistfights over which team is better in a sporting event. What difference does that make? Eternally, zero. So I fought the good fight. I have finished the race, the race that was set before him, that God sent him on. I have kept the faith. Now finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Love his appearing. Now, there's some people that you just love to see, right? And there's some people you see them and your face lights up and, and you're excited to see them. And, you know, you, uh, especially if you haven't been able to see them for a while and now you can see them. And, and your face lights up and you're all excited like I was when Megan and Lance came walking in. Hey! Uh, and, and you're going to see the Lord. You're going to see, physically see, this one you've talked about and we've preached about and we prayed in his name for our lives, our spirit, all of our spiritual life. We've been praying in his name. And, and we've been longing to see him. And we're going to see him. It's going to be great. I remember uh, when I went to Cuba the first time, Kathy and I had an opportunity to minister in Cuba for years. I, I can't go back now because of health issues. Uh, but while we were in Cuba, I was, the first time I went, I think I was gone like two and a half weeks, wasn't I? And I came back, and you know, it, flying's never that fun when you have long legs. Um, airplane seats are made for people who are like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and, and so my knees bang on the seat in front of me. When they try and recline it a little, it actually hurts. I don't smash the back of it anymore like I did when I was a Marine, but, uh, but we, we, I got off the plane, and I was hungry, and I was tired, and I was grumpy, and I came around the corner, and there was Kathy! 
and I wasn't grumpy and, and anymore. I just kind of threw my luggage down and ran and gave, picked her up and gave her a big hug. Why? Because I was longing to be with her and see her, and there she was. And she brought all the kids. We had this group hug at the airport. We're going to see the Lord, and we should long for his appearing. We, we should anticipate, maybe, maybe even wake up tomorrow and say, this could be the day. Will I see you today, Lord? That's how Paul lived. To me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He was ready either way. And we should be longing to see him. And I'll tell you what it'll do in your life if you try to habitually think about being in the presence of the Lord. It will help you make better judgment calls in your daily life. When you're tempted to do a particular sin, you might say, I don't want to be doing that if Jesus calls me home. I don't want to be going there, thinking that, watching that. Well, it'll change the way we live a little bit. Love his appearing. And if you do, if you long to be with him, desire to be with him, then someday when you're with the Lord, Paul said, everybody who thinks like this is going to have the crown of rejoicing. It'll be a blessing that God gives to those who love his appearance. So eagerly anticipate his appearance. Then the second thing is to purify yourself. To purify yourself. You see the reference there, 1 John chapter 3. We'll read that for in just a moment. You need to take the initiative to make sure you do the right thing. Now, it's easy to slip up. It's easy to sin. We can sin naturally because we're still in the flesh. And it's just more natural for us to sin than to not sin. And so we don't want to make you hyper and, and super focused. But I just change the way you think about some of the activities on earth. Change the activities that you do. Change the attitude that you have. And so in uh, 1 John chapter 3, um, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we, we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he adds this, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, when you go to the doctor and you're going to have a treatment, there's sometimes you have to not eat for hours. Um, and I remember years ago, I had to go like 36 hours with food, without food before I could have this particular procedure. And it was, it was impossible. I mean, in my waking hours, I never went three in a row without food. And, and I just couldn't imagine living through this. Well, once I got through it, I thought, you know what? Food has had too big a hold on me. And, and I need to distance myself a little bit. But, but when, when, when you're purifying yourself, you're preparing yourself for that medical thing. And, and there's certain tests you have that you actually have to purge your system to get everything out of your system so they can then evaluate your system. And yes, it's as unpleasant as it sounds. Um, and yet, that's the right thing to do physically for them to be able to do the medical stuff they need to do. Well, now John's saying we need to do this spiritually. We need to purge ourselves. We need to purify ourselves. And you might need to make a big adjustment in your life. You might need to make a little adjustment in your life. The key is make the adjustment. You're going to be standing at God's presence someday, maybe even today. And so you want to do the right thing on that day. You want to be in the right place, doing the right things, thinking the right thoughts, if you can. So uh, notice also that John did not say, you need to become the purity police. 
He didn't say, John, I'm going to make you make sure everybody else does the right thing. And so John's going to come around. If he sees you doing the wrong thing, he'll smack you on the side of the head. Actually, John might enjoy doing that. But, <laughs> but that's not what the Apostle John has called people to do. The Apostle John did not say, you make sure all those other people get their life right. You don't go around fussing and arguing and yelling at people. He said, you purify yourself because God is pure. You prepare yourself to do this. Now, if most of you married guys are like me, I need Kathy's help to do what's right as far as eating and all of that. So even before we come to a, the potluck at church or anything, she often helps me get a plate because I have no idea what I can eat and what I can't eat. And, and she can readily tell it. Part of it is because I'm colorblind and I don't know if that's you know spaghetti sauce or mold. And they look the same to me. Sometimes they taste the same too. I won't tell you who's that was. The truth is that sometimes you know we need other people looking out for us. And when I first became diabetic, Kathy would tell me, "You can't eat that," and I'd get grumpy. I I hate. And then gradually, I grew up a little bit. Nice thing to do. And but see, God never appoints you to be the one to make sure other people grow up. He says, you need to make yourself grow up. You need to purify yourself. You need to move in the right direction. And part of that moving in the right direction is moving away from the other stuff and leaving it behind. So you need to love his appearing and you need to purify yourself. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there's a third thing that we see here. And that is that you need to abound in the work of the Lord. Now this whole chapter is talking about our eternal hope. Our eternal hope that this body that's corruptible and decaying is going to uh, get a new body. This body that's mortal and dying is going to get a new body. And it will no longer be corruptible or mortal. It will be new and fresh. And, and you'll have a body that will live forever. And then he gets all the way down to all of these joys and death getting swallowed up in victory. And he comes down to verse 58 and says, Therefore, now Ben made me a shirt, and it says, Wherefore is the therefore, therefore. <laughs> when you see a therefore in Scripture, you got to ask yourself, Why is that there? Therefore, because of all this stuff, because there's going to be an end, because death is going to be swallowed in victory, because you're going to have a, a body that will not be mortal and not be corruptible, that you'll live forever. Because of these things and these truths, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, he's writing to believers in Christ, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, when he says steadfast and immovable, steadfast means you don't waver, you don't change direction. Have you ever driven past somebody or behind somebody, and you know they're in the left lane, then they're in the middle lane, then they're in the right lane, then they're back in the left lane, and then they're in the middle lane, and, and they're just back and forth and back and forth, and you get up to the next light, and you're right there behind them. Uh, that happens sometimes. He said, be steadfast. Stay in your lane. Some people drift around, and it's really scary when they're driving big trucks and they drift over. I remember on my motorcycle, there was a, somebody in a, this great big uh, truck with dualies on the back, and it was an extended cab, an extended bed. Uh, the whole thing was this big, long thing, and I pulled into the left turn lane because I was on my motorcycle, and uh, I watched the wheels of the cars around me. And so I saw the, his front wheels turn my way, and I jammed on the brakes so bad that I did a reverse. Um, <laughs> you know, my rear end of the bike came up, and I was leaning back to ride it down. I wasn't popping a wheelie. It was a reverse wheelie. 
And I just jacked on the wife because he just came right into my way. And if I hadn't been watching his tire, he would have knocked me over and run over me with those doodles on the back. And so you, you need to be attentive to things. You need to stay in your lane. You need to be steadfast. And then he says, unmovable, immovable, not to be moved in a different direction uh, or location. Be firmly set. Now, this does not mean to be stubborn and hyper-opinionated. It does mean to be steadfast about the things that we know are true from God's Word. There's lots of false teachers out there. Don't follow them. Stick with the truth. And then he said, always abounding. Now, I started to, to have a, a pitcher of water and a cup up here and have somebody holding it for me. And I even thought I could ask Anna to come up here and do it, but she'll never trust me with a water pitcher anymore since I poured it on her head. Uh, but, uh, but when you're filling up a cup and say you've got a glass that's this tall, well, when it's this full, that's not abounding. When it's this full, that's not abounding. If you're this much short of the top, that's not abounding. See, the description here is actually a super abundance. So, in other words, you're filling it up, and you fill it up till it overflows. And when it's overflowing and splashing all over, that's when it's finally abounding. And so, what God wants is for you to be abounding in His work. Now, his work's a little different for each one of us. Kathy teaches a Sunday school class. I don't, like, have, have it for quite a few years now. Um, she teaches the ladies' Bible study, which I could maybe do, but it might be a little awkward. Uh, uh, but, but we have different things that we do. None of you would want to sing songs while I'm playing the piano, unless you're really good at Three Blind Mice. Uh, we, we have different skills and different abilities. So he said, you abound in what you do well. You abound in what you do well. You serve God the way God has equipped you to serve. So abounding, a super abundance, let it spill over into your life. So if you are an introvert and you'd rather just sit quietly in the corner, take some time. Put forth some effort. Talk to some people. That's what abounding is. It moves you outside your comfort zone. And if you love talking to everybody and you just want to, you get energized by getting all these people around, then take some time to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody. Let it super abound. Let it abound in your life. Do the work of the Lord. Your labor is never empty or vain in the Lord. It always pays off, both on earth and in heaven. So abound in the work of the Lord. See, we, we need to have heaven's long view. Not just the long view that some of the blessings of heaven will be eventually in the new heaven and the new earth, but the long view right now that I can live for heaven right here, right now. Back when I was going into Marine Corps, I had already signed up. I was on a delayed enlistment program so I could stick around for my brother's wedding, which worked out really nicely because during that delayed enlistment, I started dating Kathy. What a, what a blessing of my life. But I, I told my dad, you know, when I get out of town, I'm going to change. I'm going to get more serious about following the Lord. I'm going to get some friends that encourage me in the Lord. And my dad said, if you can't do it here, you're not going to do it there. If you can't do it now, you're not going to do it then. Well, he made me mad, but he was right. We can do it right here, right now. And if we're not doing it right here, right now, then we're not looking in the right direction. We need to focus on heaven, the long view. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't leave this place. Trust Christ. You know, when I walk out, follow me out. 
and say, hey, I want somebody to show me how to be saved. We had that happen one Sunday. I was standing out there shaking hands. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, I want somebody to show me how to be saved. And, and it was a lady, and I looked around, and I saw Corinda. I said, hey, Corinda, take her into my study. Show her how to be saved. And Corinda said, oh, no, I have to. <laughs> she said, sure. And she took her in there, and the lady got saved. And so, you know, you could make somebody's day trusting Christ. Today could be your spiritual birthday. Mm -hmm. So if you have not trusted Christ, then you're not heading for heaven. And there's only two options, heaven or hell. The new heaven and the new earth or the lake of fire. There's only two spots. You're either going up to be with the Lord or you're going down. And so trust Christ today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for the great hope that we have of life eternal. The hope and confident expectation that we have of being with you forever. And although we'd prefer you to wipe away all tears immediately, we will trust you and follow you in heaven just like we do here on earth. And Lord, help us to make adjustments in our lives, to long for and love your appearing, to purify ourselves, to be abounding in our service for you. Because someday, that will be the only stuff that matters. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.